You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I sometimes wonder if they'll have midnight movies in the 30th century. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted again by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Hello there, my name is Sean Engel, and my job on this podcast is to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, and putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner is forefront in the issue this time, as we're covering Green Lantern number 99, one away from 100. Ooh. And this time out, we're following up the last issue, obviously, where Kyle's been blasting in the future and is dealing with a rogue group of Green Lanterns and the Legion and Excess trying to flirt with them. Kyle got his ring stolen. There's a new Green Lantern, and I don't know what the heck is going on, but it looks like Kyle may just be banished to the future for the rest of time. However, as before like we heard in the last episode, I need a little bit of help when it comes to Legion Matters. And the person who I've chosen to help me with the Legion Matters is podcaster extraordinaire, Mr. J. David Weeder. Hey, Dave, thanks for coming back. Hi, thanks for having me. I've just been you know, doing some Google searches for custom-made tombstones. <laughs> well, I hope you have something interesting to put on that tombstone. Uh, you know, Turns some... out, could have used more wildfire exceeds the letters. I gotta keep looking. Mm. Just, you know, if, if you need some extra help, you know, uh, getting a larger tombstone so you can put that on, maybe get one of those. I've seen those tombstones that actually have video feeds on them, uh, that have video screens on them, so you can maybe put, you know, like an animated version of Wildfire. Was Ooh. Wildfire on the uh, Superboy or the Superman and the Legion of Superheroes cartoon? I think he made a brief appearance, but he was not a regular well, that see, I remember. Well, see, that's why that cartoon was filled with fail, man. <laughs> then it was on early. That's true. But uh, yes, we're going to be covering here Green Lantern number 99, dealing with the Legion and Kyle Rayner in the future, and another Green Lantern who's using Kyle's ring. Completely weird. But we'll be getting to all that after these couple of podcast promos. And once we get back, of course, Green Lantern number 99. I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. I don't like this. No! Really pissed me off. Oh no! It's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. Since the day Bruce Banner was bathed in gamma rays, he has fought the creature within. The creature torments Banner. The creature is unstoppable. The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk. And all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole. And three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. 
buddy, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. And Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Weeder, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomepage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is Go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. And we are back once again. And today we are going to be covering, as I said, Greenlander number 99. It was cover dated June 1998 and released on April 1st, 1998. April Fool's Day. Disturbing. Cover price was $1.95 US and $2.75 Canada, and the title was Future Shock Part 2. Writer Lad was Ron Mars. Pencil Lad was Daryl Banks. Ink Boy was Terry Austin. Letter Lad was Chris Eliopoulos. Uh, color Kid was Robert Schwager, Associate Lass was Dana Curtin, and Editor Boy, slap him, was Kevin <laughs> Dooley. Love these goofy titles he gives himself. In the back alley where we saw her last, newly selected Green Lantern Carrie Wren is testing out the ring's abilities by creating a buffet dinner table. Carrie asks the Guardian Ganthet if she can eat it, perhaps the most innuendo-laden statement in the book, to which Ganthet replies no as she goes as he goes into a spiel about how the ring works and who the Green Lanterns were. Telling Carrie that she is the ancestor of Kyle, Ganthet pleads with her to rescue her distant relative from the faux Green Lanterns. Carrie says that she's not a hero, but Ganthet feels that she is the only one who can save the day. Unless, of course, he would have given the ring back to Kyle, and then none of this would have been necessary. Back at Legion headquarters, Starboy is relating loss of communications to the team they sent to Oa to Cosmic Boy. Wanting to play it safe, Cosmic Boy assembles another team to check up on our missing heroes. This, of course, leads us to the heroes, particularly Kyle, who is being bitch-slapped by the bulky Zudarian lantern Tomar Rowe. The Fishbird hybrid demands the powerless Kyle to tell him where the ring went to, but Kyle is as lost as he is. Seeing that they have the Legionnaires captive, Kyle asks what's the dealio with a fake core, and Tomar says that the rings siphon the energy left in the vicinity of Oa, but don't completely function like true lantern rings. But Tomar's explanation is broken up by the arrival of a Legion cruiser and a hail from the approaching Legionnaires. Forcing their hand, the faux lanterns take Kyle to the airlock in an attempt to maintain the standoff, leaving the captured Legionnaires to worry about their fate. But things are looking up as an emerald glow emanates from the wall, melting to reveal Carrie Wren as Green Lantern. The Lady Lantern frees the Legion members, then heads off with excess to find the missing sculpture that the Faux Lanterns had stolen from the beginning book. Cut to the airlock, where the Corps is about to throw a ringless Kyle into the void of space. Thanks to Donna's hand-to-hand combat training, Kyle is able to punch his way free of the group and head out to find the source of the Lantern's power. At the same time, Excess and Carrie have found the generator, and in order to stop the criminal Green Lanterns, Carrie plans to destroy the source of their power. 
Back on the bridge, the Lanterns are smugly listening to the demands of surrender from Cosmic Boy. But their smugness is short-lived as Invisible Kid reveals that he disassembled the force field protecting their ship, allowing the Legion to board and begin the beatdown in some 30th century fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved. While the battle ensues, Green Lantern and Excess are slowly disrupting the generator when it starts to overload, and Carrie loses control of the energy dispersal. Luckily, Kyle shows up to guide her hand, keeping the ship from going all kablooey and draining the larcenous lanterns of their ring energy. Crisis averted, Carrie hands the ring back to its rightful owner, who tells her how proud he is of his future relative taking on the legacy that he strove to maintain. Once again at Legion Headquarters, Brainiac 5 is preparing to send Kyle back in time, much to the chagrin of Invisible Kid and Cosmic Kid, who remind him that time travel has been made illegal. Brainy says, shut up losers, I know what I'm doing, as he sends Kyle back into the era where Green Lanterns are supposed to be. Cut to the Lou, where Carrie and Excess are returning the priceless sculpture that the Corpsman stole in the last issue. The museum curator, who looks nothing like Tom Baker, thanks the duo for returning this treasure, and as Excess places it back where it belongs, we see the title of the piece was Sorrow, and the artist was one K. Rayner. Cut again to a disoriented Kyle who wonders where he got zapped back to. He also wonders why he's witness to an epic showdown between Sinestro and Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Every time I come on this show, Hal Jordan shows up. <laughs> I don't know that that is true. You know, last time with the final night thing, Hal Jordan shows up. Yeah, I, maybe it's just maybe it's just some subconscious desire for me to have you talk about Hal Jordan. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, this is a nice cliffhanger ending, obviously leading to issue one hundred, and. You don't know what's exactly going on with Hal and Sinestro. Is this an alternate timeline? Did they send Kyle too far back? And what kind of ramifications is this going to have? But aside from the cliffhanger ending, this is also a really good wrap-up to the storyline, even though it does have the sort of, like you mentioned in the last episode, the Green Lantern who was sort of superfluous. But I think it kind of ties into the idea that that they were trying to get at this time, that the Green Lantern is a legacy character. And you don't necessarily have to have Hal Jordan constantly as the Green Lantern. You can have other people in the role, and it can carry on into future iterations and you know keep telling new stories and keep having uh, new characters be that that character. Well, it's a it's a role is the thing. It's not it's not just a title. It's a role. It's a duty. It's a job. So it's kind of like the doctor. You made the Tom Baker reference. Somebody's going to fill that role somewhere. If that void is left open, there will be a regeneration of some kind. With Green Lantern, I mean, it's just, it's cyclical. So for, it's going to keep going and echoing for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, again, I hate to rag on the new 52 stuff. And and I don't mean to, because from from all I've heard, there is some really good stuff in there. But the thing is, at this point in time, DC did kind of have that idea that their characters could maintain the mantle or the concept of the original character of Green Lantern or Green Arrow and the Flash and have a different person in that role. I, I agree the whole Tom Baker thing of Doctor Who is one of those examples. You can have a different person in the role of that character and still have the character be the same. It's just a different person doing it. So, yeah, it, it, this was just an era that I really enjoyed the fact that they were willing to move on and do something different. So Yeah, 
Well, that's this is why Kyle and Wally are two of my favorite characters because they didn't just inherit the role, which I mean, yeah, that they did, but they made it their own. They made it work. These were characters that carried the, their respective titles. And I uh, don't know where Wally is now, but uh, again, not to rag on the new 52. I think it's a missed opportunity. No, I agree. And I, I, I do have hope that eventually down the line, Wally will show up in the Flash title. Because if anything about the new 52, I've heard that the Flash title is one of the very, very wonderful, bright spots in there. And I will vouch for that. So uh, I, I have hope that eventually they will bring Wally into the Flash title. But right now, the new 52 seems to be kind of uh, fixated on bringing the original characters back and telling stories with them which if it works for them that's fine maybe that's That's, it's their toys so (laughs) exactly and you know we like many podcasts ever said we have our eras we have our back issues that we can go back to and read and enjoy if we're not enjoying the current stuff there's you know for superman there's 75 years worth of stories for him for Green Lantern, there's around 70 years, including the Alan Scott stuff. So there's plenty of reading material if you're not enjoying what is being published today. And I think that goes to what you know a lot of podcasters have said as well. Mm-hmm. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, what's coming out now, go find what you enjoy. Find what you love and and read that and embrace it and have fun with it. Yeah. It was just this was a good era. You had a lot of progression. It felt like this was a growing living universe. So mm-hmm. that was and, the point that I was kind of making. <laughs> I wasn't trying to rag on the new 52. No, and, and that's that's what I loved about this era as well, that this this felt like it was moving forward. It felt like things were changing. And I like that about this time period. It, mm-hmm. Again, it is no it's no uh, denouncement of the new 52. It's just this era had a feeling that it wanted to expand things. It wanted to shake things up and take different routes and things sometimes that worked out really well like we see in the flash and in uh, green lantern and sometimes it had a few problems and i would point i guess to a book well some characters that we're going to deal with later the the teen titans of this time so oh yeah those (laughs) yeah you know it wasn't uh, well this was a time when you had electric superman which it despite it you know having its critics was something bold and new. You also had Jack Knight as Starman. I mean, it was a lot of things new that were being put on the plate. And the wonderful thing about Jack Knight as Starman, not only did you have this new sort of vibrant character who uh, was very much uh, in tune with the 90s, but he was also very reverential to the Golden Age type characters. I hear nothing Mm -hmm. but great things about how... uh, how much reverence that James Robinson did in dealing with uh, the former older characters in the DC universe uh, in the Starman book. And that's another one of the books that's on my short list of books to read. I I just recently finished up Preacher on Andy Leyland's recommendation, and Starman is one of the ones that I need to get into next to get those uh, omnibuses. Yes, they're wonderful. But uh, yeah, we're way off. We're <laughs> off the reservation. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. I, like I said, this is why I love having other podcasters on. It gives me great tangents to talk to you. Um, starting off with the cover, it's it. It's not bad. It's not great. It's a sort of generic cover. The only thing that really catches your eye is the fact that there's a bunch of Green Lanterns on it, and plus the big arrow pointing towards the. Uh, new very curvy green lantern is you know just it's kind of i want to say it's kind of in the marvel style more than in the dc style with the uh, with the arrow and the cover copy pointing to the strange thing going on it yeah <laughs> I, I don't i don't have and plus holy cow cosmic boys you know uniform is pretty darn stretchy i mean but tomar schwarzenegger definitely has a uh hold of him and he's gonna it's it's like yeah i think it was a cape (laughs) you know maybe that was the problem maybe they thought it was a cape and then just realized at the last moment oh no and that's what they did so no come on (laughs) i've got you by the cape (laughs) stick around oh that's horrible um so so 
the can I eat it line actually gave me about 20 to 30 minutes of deep thought of how that could be feasible. Yeah. See, this is one of the things about, about the Green Lantern constructs that's always, it's always not really troubled me, but it's always been something to think about. They are constructs made of light and constructs that require willpower to actually give form to. They have substance. They're supposed to have substance and weight, yet they're not supposed to be able... I don't know. I I agree with you. Technically, I guess she could bite into it and she could digest it, but it's not like she's creating an actual physical apple with, you know, uh, actual sugar protein, not sugar, you know, actual sugar in it. Yeah, that was the path I went down is that she would have to will the nutrients to be there to make it worthwhile. And that seems to be one of those kind of weird things where the ring has been able in certain issues to do. I know there are issues of Green Lantern and the early thing where how could manipulate the molecules in the air to change substance in order to get out of a, uh, you know, to get out of a trap or something. So it is one of those weird concepts where if the ring creates something, does it actually create a physical thing that is a representation of the real thing in the world? So, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about, but I guess it's just, you know, it's it's comic booky, and, you know, we can leave it up to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, I, I'm more focused in on it as, you know, a sort of dirty innuendo, but that's just me. I didn't catch an innuendo. Well, you know, just hurt. can I eat it? And, and sort of a... Uh, the look of the, the look okay of... <laughs> Ganthet's face. I see it now. Okay, but uh, then uh, page three, you get a nice little info dump for uh, Carrie, basically giving her the history of the core and the history of Hal and his turn to uh, the dark side or turning to parallax and the uh, existence of Kyle, and then the revelation that. Carrie is his ancestor, which is interesting. And now I can't remember if you said something about Carrie actually continuing on in Legion books, or is she is she never mentioned again? I don't remember her at all. Okay. Beyond this, so see, I think this this is kind of a sad lost opportunity because I think this could be something that it might not be it might not be something that DC wants to approach now especially with what they're doing with Kyle and the current continuity. But I think this was another interesting thing that they brought forth in this time that Kyle not only did have a legacy as Green Lantern, but he would also have a legacy as, as a human being that he would pass on, you know, I hate to say this, that he would pass on his lineage, that he would have offspring and that in the future he would have meant something. Now we get later in the book, uh, we get later in the book, we find out that Kyle actually did have, you know, a lineage that was of his artwork and his uh, exploits as Green Lantern. But there's also that sort of nice idea that he was a father and that he, he sired children. He had offspring, but that also kind of brings up, you know, who did he have offspring with? And that might be something that, DC or the writers or whatever might not want to tackle at the time. So I can see that. I wouldn't want to touch it. But yeah, I did do a quick double check. Uh, She has no further appearances. So this is the one off. Yeah. This this and 97 through 99. Yeah, that is kind of disappointing because like I said, I think it could have been an interesting concept to see her, you know, to, to see her role expanded, you know, because at the end of the book, we see her. Uh, going to the Louvre to take back the uh, sculpture with excess. So you kind of get the idea that she might have something to do with the Legion at the time. You know, granted, she's not powerful. She doesn't have superpowers, but who knows? We mentioned in the last issue, or last episode, actually, the rings along the fin of Tomar Rowe. I thought that was actually kind of a neat uh, visual idea. And like I said, I related it to the Klingons in Star Trek Into Darkness, which... Uh, yes, again, that's a controversial movie that 
I seem to be the only one who uh, actually thought was any good, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I thought Paul Spataro liked it. Yeah, actually, I actually when Paul did his uh, commentary on it with uh, Chris Honeywell, he he gave perhaps the most apt description of it, of it being like a good steak with a piece of gristle in it that if you just cut around that piece of gristle, the rest of the steak isn't really good. And that's kind of the way uh, that's kind of the way I viewed it. There were parts in there that just if you could overlook and look at the rest of the movie, the rest of the movie was really good. But yeah, see, I still haven't seen it. It's you know, like uh, some other movies that came out uh, last year. Uh, it <laughs> was it did split the fandom. Um, I know. Andy Leyland actually watched it recently and talked about it on uh, Hey Kids Comics. And uh, he basically had the same feelings that a lot of people did up until the sort of jump the shark moment or, you know, scream the name of Kirk moment. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thought it was a good movie. And, you know, the I think J.J. Abrams is a good filmmaker. But I know a lot of people don't see this as as the same as original track. So, you know, but it's not meant to be seen that way. So no, I agree. It's supposed to be different, but uh, sometimes, you know, you have to take what's out there and try and find the enjoyment in it. And I do find the enjoyment in Star Trek into darkness and the new JJ Abrams stuff. And I think if we get some better writers on it, people who have a better concept of science fiction and Star Trek, and not the uh, creators or the writers for the Transformers movies on it, I think it'll do a lot better. I will say this. The other movie that caused a lot of controversy, the DC movie, Mm -hmm. the makers of that film responded much more eloquently and a lot more politely than the makers of Star Trek Into Darkness to the fan dissent. Mm -hmm. Because F-Off is not really a professional way to react. No, I think think Roberto Orsi or whatever his name is... uh, did a big disservice to himself by uh, telling the fans that, look, we made a ton of money. Obviously, you liked it, so suck it. Yeah. yeah. Again, tangent, you know, we're, we're doing a <laughs> Green Lantern company. Okay, moving on to page 10, panel 3. After uh, Carrie has rescued the Green Lanterns with some neat sort of barbarian-esque type uh, constructs, we get... The whole subplot that until right at this moment I was completely forgotten – I had completely forgotten about the idea that these lanterns stole this precious artifact from the Louvre. And you would think that this would have been more important, and in the end it does turn out to be important, but I'm glad that we kind of get back to that. And of course, this is another one of those examples of – what I like to see this, what I like to say, the sort of you know high school mentality of the Legionnaires, they're not focused, you know, they seem to be kind of focused on the fact that they didn't succeed. This was uh, something that Vi did in the last issue. They were kind of upset that they failed at this, and that was something that they tend to focus on. And it has that really sort of feel of the way high schoolers would compartmentalize the idea of what's going on they'll focus on this one not really trivial thing but this one thing that they did wrong and they'll try and want to rectify that i see that uh especially in my daughter my older daughter that she will do that sort of thing you know if she hasn't done something right she'll focus on that and sort of ignore the big picture type stuff so i i enjoyed the fact that they brought that back it's it's also a little bit of kyle in his early days when he was learning the ropes that Failure, he didn't understand that there would be failures in this job because he was, I mean, he was a fledgling Green Lantern. The the ring didn't have a, you know, didn't have an instruction booklet. He didn't have a kilowog to guide him. So he took failures really hard originally, especially, you know, Alex. Now, that's a little bit on a higher level than what we're seeing here, but it does kind of reflect Kyle's early days. So. Even though I, I don't see it really in the text of the story, I think Kyle can look at that and kind of take some solace in the fact that everybody runs into that feeling at some point. Oh, we I, all screw up. <laughs> oh, I agree. And I, I think that's uh, another testament to the uh, success or the the concept of Legion, that they notice their mistakes and they're able to learn from them and you know move on from them and... you know correct them as well so yep. i like that here 
And if um, they don't notice them, Brainiac 5 will. <laughs> I have things to say about Brainiac 5 in your watch. Okay, um, yeah, I, I figured you would. Um, page 11, panel 3. Now, Kyle is powerless, doesn't have his ring or anything. And he thanks, uh, he, he thanks in his inner monologue uh, Donna for helping him with his hand-to-hand. Which has kind of been a point of contention of me, but with me, because sometimes he's a really good fighter and sometimes he's not. In this case, he is. But however, on this page, I think it's not really cool because in that third <laughs> panel, it looks like he elbows that Green Lantern right in the boobs. Yes, I know. So, um, see, I took it as and looking at it, it, it's it's the sternum, but yeah, at a glance, yeah. it definitely looks like a boob shot. Yeah, I mean, and and to to be fair, you punch someone or you elbow someone in the chest, you're going to knock the wind out of them. So, I mean, it's effective, but yeah, the the impact mark is right right on her left breast. So, yeah. See, this had me thinking too because to even be worthy of a ring, a green lantern ring, there has to be some sort of inherent good or inherent uh, ability to do good. And a determination that would push that. So I think putting even a, a powerless Kyle into a situation like this, he's going to at least hold his own at best. At worst, I should say. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily... I don't look at it as, he. oh, he's Kyle. He's a good fighter. He's a Green Lantern. He's earned his stripes. He's going to find some way to get out of this scenario. Mm-hmm. And this is just a quick defensive move. I mean, he's if he was in for a long fight, I don't think he would last too long, but... Well, no, especially, you know, powerless against, you know, what, eight Green Lanterns? Yeah. You know, supposed Green Lanterns with at least rings that can totally mess him up. So, yeah, it, it you, you would think that even someone powered like Wonder Girl would, would have a problem with that. So Donna might even have a problem with this. Yeah. But yeah. But he would fight till the very end. I know that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is his character. That is the character of Kyle. You know, he's he is a hero. So, yeah uh page 13 i guess that bottom panel that is just a glorious panel of ultra boy punching some <laughs> zudarian goon in the face i love the smile on his face mm-hmm. well and it's it's the thing you know he's uh, again i hearken back to the idea of these being sort of high school age kids this is fun for them you know yes there are stakes at hand there's you know there's been a theft there. The Legion members are being held captive, but all throughout this, the Legionnaires are enjoying themselves because they're doing what they love to do and they're having fun with it. And yeah, the big smile on Ultra Boy's face here is just glorious. It's kind of a Popeye moment, isn't it? I mean, his fist is really big, which I like, even though it's, it's a little goofy if you're really tearing it down on a structure basis it works for the dynamic image along with the sort of anime blur lines behind them mm-hmm. um then after that we get this really really nice two-page splash with uh the green lanterns or the faux green lanterns taking on the legionnaires and there's just a lot going on here it's it's not the best art by banks and i will admit some of the inking, I think, by Terry Austin is a bit thick on some of the characters, but it, it's fun. You get to see all the Legionnaires going in. Everyone's taking out someone. There's uh, Tomar Schwarzenegger fighting Ultra Boy. Livewire and Spark are in there. You've got oh, it, it's just it, it's glorious. I think it's I think it's a really good panel here. Yeah, Ninja Green Lantern has some sort of mace whip thing. Mm-hmm. Is that a? You think it's a mace? Is that what that is? Yeah, is I that think, just a motion line? No, I, yeah, I think that's a motion line, and she's hitting invisible. Kid okay. With that. Yeah, I think it's a mace, and it's just the energy from it, you know, in a motion line. Yeah. But yeah, really good two panels or two page splash there. Um, I do like as as Carrie is trying to do her best to disrupt the sort of generator for the faux Green Lantern's power battery that she gets overwhelmed, but then Kyle steps in to help her. And the thing is, this is the nice thing about Kyle. He doesn't take the ring from her. He just guides her hand. And I think that's, I think that's kind of nice because he's allowing her to be the hero. He's just there to help her, which is kind of nice because 
Kyle never had that. And that he's a, since he's the Green Lantern and he's able to give advice to this new Green Lantern, it's, it's kind of a way of showing how he's taken the legacy that was foisted upon him and transferring it on to this new character who could be a legacy Green Lantern. So I, I, I really enjoyed that on this page. It's, it's really amazing timing, too, because of the way the issue ends. This is a point where Kyle is ready to jump into the storyline that comes after this, jump into what occurs in issue 100 and, one and beyond. Mm -hmm. So just wonderful timing. Mars is really metering this out well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, over the past couple of issues, you know, Mars's writing has just been really phenomenal. Uh, in issue 97, which timing wine will be coming out in a couple of weeks, we had a great issue where it was a lot of dialogue between Kyle and Allison just talking. And the conversation between them was was wonderful. And Mars has just been knocking out of the park with his dialogue in the book. So I've, I've just been loving it. Well, it's just it's this evolution in Kyle that made him my Green Lantern. I was reluctant at first, and as I got to know the character and, and really went back and watched the character's journey to where he becomes, you know, who he becomes down the road, just watching that evolution allowed me to relate to him in ways that I couldn't with Hal or Guy. Mm -hmm. Because I was, I mean, at this time, I was, what, 20, 21 when this issue came out, younger than, you know, than that when he took over. I was going through, you know, late adolescence into adulthood. I understood what Kyle was doing because I was going through something similar in a real world fashion. Well, and I think that's another one of the things that DC had during this time that really worked well for them is they had these sort of younger characters, not only with Kyle, but also with Wally and Connor. And especially, as we mentioned before, in the Jack Knight Starman, which were really relatable to, I think, the people that they were wanting to get reading the books. These were people who were going through their own trials and tribulations, who were dealing with the situations of the time, and who could be relatable to people who were growing up and wanting to read these comics. So, yeah, DC really had a, a good thing going at this time period. I, I, I can't agree with you more there. Speaking of Starman, just to tie it in, since there's no real good place to post this note, Starboy, who is in this in this issue in the background of the splash we were talking about, doesn't have a lot to do here, but he does tie into that Starman series uh, about two years from when this issue comes out. Cool. So it's Robinson, Robinson brought in everybody that was ever called Starman. So that includes Starboy, who became Starman. Oh, OK. Well, that's neat. I had I had no. Again, this is one of the reasons why I need to go pick up those Starman omnibuses. I really need to go get those or, or keep your eyes open on eBay. I got a really good lot that was every issue, everything that was in the omnibus plus uh, plus more. And I got it for pretty good price all in all. Hmm. And the and the seller even included a Jack Knight figure. So oh, that's always cool. Yeah, almost uh, did backflips. <laughs> um, page nineteen. I don't know. You know, the little bit I do know about Brainiac Five is he's obviously well. His name sort of says it. He's the brains of the Legion, but my God, he's kind of a dick on this page. I mean, kind of. <laughs> okay well, I was well that's brainy x5 that's his that's his main power is, is just being a dick <laughs> but he's yeah. the smartest guy in the room and he's gonna let everybody know it <laughs> well and, and especially on that last panel where he's like well is anyone gonna say thank you i mean is there some sort of charter that they can't kick this guy off the legion i mean yes i know they need a really smart person but they but do they need a douchebag on the team they need him because for as, as douchey as he is, he's the one that usually comes up with the solution. He's the one that makes the plan to use Chameleon Boy as a, as a camouf uh, camouflage. Well, wouldn't that just again, Chameleon Boy, doesn't that <laughs> kind of doesn't his namesake kind of give you the idea of what you should do with him? But I guess never. Mind. But for some reason, the other Legionnaires don't see that potential. I guess not. Even though they'll use that tech all the time. <laughs> Um, page 20, again, this is another thing that I think works great into the idea of Kyle's character as a legacy character. Not only does Kyle continue on the legacy of Green Lantern, but the sculpture that was stolen 
the, the sort of priceless sculpture that was stolen from the Louvre that everyone was so worried about that excess had to go and find when they put it back, we realize, and I'm thinking it, it kind of looks like it might be a sculpture of Donna Troy. I've got to assume that. But in the final panel here, we see that the title was sorrow and it was sculpted by one K Rayner. Now it, it works in the story because I don't think Kyle ever revealed to anyone that he was Kyle Rayner. He was just green lantern. And since they don't have records of Kyle being green lantern, well, unless did you know, unless in the crossover when uh, Cosmic Boy and the Legion dealt with Kyle, if Kyle revealed himself to them, then you would think that they might have made that connection. But I don't know if they actually did. Not not that I remember in the crossover. I was trying to figure out if he ever mentioned anything to Carrie or if she's able to put the pieces together. Well, I know, you know, I think he said that you know, he's or she's his ancestor, but I don't think he ever said that, you know, his name was Kyle Rayner. So I think you've got the idea that there's a lineage there, but where that lineage comes from is, you know, kind of left to nebulous. But yeah, I like the fact that not only is Kyle going to be remembered or hopefully that Kyle would be remembered as Green Lantern, but he'll also be remembered as a famous artist. So I I just thought that was a nice little note about not only the hero portion of Kyle, but the persona of Kyle. And I'm I'm glad you thought that was Donna as well. well that was the first thing that I saw. Yeah, it, it does kind of look like Donna. And you would kind of, if you would kind of think of this time and the way Don, what Donna's going through and the what Kyle and Donna themselves are going through, you could kind of see why he would do some sort of sculpture called Sorrow and it'd be about Donna. But yeah. I'm trying to remember what Alex looked like. She had shorter hair, did she not? Yes, I think she did. This okay. this definitely looks more like Donna, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah. But then we get the, uh, the last couple of pages as Kyle bumps in to a battle between, obviously, a very young-looking Hal Jordan, because he doesn't have the stereotypical gray stripes along his, uh, along the sides, in battle with Sinestro. And this is one of those just jaw-dropping what-is-going-on moments that was going to lead us into issue 100 and lead us into a really incredible storyline coming up in the next couple of Green Lantern issues. I, I did go ahead and read ahead just to or, you know, reminisce, and I forgot how good the next few issues really are. Mm-hmm. I... I I try not to read too far ahead. I did read up to 101, and yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting how Hal relates to the idea of being in. Well, I don't want to. I don't want. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Hal and Kyle, and what goes on with everything with that. But yeah, this is going to be a really really fun read over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And it will play on that moment we had with Carrie where Kyle kind of becomes the teacher for a moment, which is weird to say, but you'll just have to see what I mean. Mm -hmm. But yeah, again, this was a nice wrap up. It was a nice sort of it was a nice testament to proving that Kyle actually will have a legacy in the future. And it was a great just sort of fun issue with the Legion beating the crap out of some fake Green Lanterns. I I. I can't say enough about this. I think the art in a lot of places was a lot better than the last issue. There was a bit of wonkiness in some of them, but the the final splash with Hal and Sinestro fighting, just I'm looking at it right now, it is glorious. Loving it. it his lines seem to be back in form. I can mm -hmm. tell you that. Yeah. And yeah, that splash. Imagine, I, I don't remember if, if the upcoming storyline was really, really hyped or if it, this was allowed to be an, a you know, a surprise. I, I would like to think it was a surprise because that would be a mind blower. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm certain at this time there was a magazine. I don't know if previews was around. I know but, wizard was still around at this point. Okay. So I'm certain wizard might've had something in there when they weren't hyping the image books. And, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is a really big shocker. And like I said, you know, Hal Jordan, looks like he's going to be back, or at least Kyle is back with Hal Jordan and Hal is not parallax. So 
this is going to be interesting to see where this goes. You know, I didn't ask this uh, last time, but do you have the uh, actual physical copy of the book? I do not. Okay. I was going to ask about that because I didn't know if you wanted to cover ads or anything in here. I'm looking to see if there's anything just amazing. Coca-Cola. I'm not seeing anything just jumping out at me. There's an advertisement for, I guess, the PlayStation 1 version of the Batman and Robin video game. Actually, the game wasn't that bad. It needed some work, but it was uh, not as bad as you would expect. It wasn't as bad as the movie. Well, I guess you could make your own comments about that. Uh, <laughs> advertisement for the uh, for a lot of the trade paperbacks and uh, the Joe Kubert school. Watch this space. Oh, yes, and an advertisement for Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which you can rent now. And then they've got... Uh, the- I would recommend not renting that movie. Yeah, the the first one was good, but it was a Paul W.S. Anderson movie. And if Paul W.S. Anderson can do anything, it's just big movies with a lot of fighting in them. So, yeah, I, I guess, you know, if you're into that, that's good. But, yeah, the second, I agree, the second Mortal Kombat movie was... Not let me let me tell you how bad it is. I went to see it at the at the bargain theater, which you could go see movies. They were late in their run, almost on their way out of the theater mm-hmm. for a dollar twenty five. I paid a dollar twenty five to see this movie about midway through. I considered going to ask for my dollar twenty five back. That's sad. Dollar <laughs> twenty five. Yeah, I, I've n- I can't remember. I'm certain there has been a movie that I've gone to that I've been sorely disappointed in watching, but asking for a dollar 25 back, that definitely says <laughs> something about it. Yeah. The back outside cover, it's a weird ad for the gap and it's got some sort of Hanson esque long haired teenage kid with a goofy oh, grin and winking. The winking kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, thanks. Nighties. Thanks to Gap. Go buy stuff at Old Davy. It's basically the same stuff as Gap, except you'll save, oh, about half, if not more. So there's my little ad there. This podcast is not officially endorsed by Old Navy. That's true. Um, David, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Once again, do you want to go ahead and tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Yes, I am at uh, the Do Dave's Daredevil podcast, which is covering the man without fear. We are now doing the uh, we as in I am covering the Frank Miller material over at daredevilpodcast.com. Um, also, Starman Observatory is finally getting back in motion, assuming there's no more scheduling problems. The holidays are the bane of the podcasting world. And that's at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Superman in the Bronze Age is still bi-weekly at supermaninthebronzeage.com. And Pat Smash will be coming back at incrediblehulksmash.com. Can't wait for that. David, again, thank you for coming on. Now, I know we have something lined up in the very near future that involves a that involves Green Lantern and also also involves one of uh, your favorite heroes as well. You want to kind of tease that? Well, if you have magic words stored up, this is one of the best. I'll, I'll tease it like that far. I think I think that's a good tease right there. Well, David, again, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for downloading. And be sure to come back next time uh, for episode 100. Woo! It's a big one. Well, it's not actually episode 100. That one was honestly with Professor Allen. But it's issue 100, so there you go. I'm horrible at celebrating. <laughs> Still a big one. <laughs> That's true. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for coming on again, David. And we will catch you next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. 
The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, or search for Two True Freaks, the numeral two, and you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook, and now you can actually find me there as it was a requirement of my new Demonsecore contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Wars group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was The Time Warp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show original soundtrack. Now, you can pick this soundtrack up in a myriad places. You can also pick up the movie or the DVD or the Blu-ray, if you'd like, on Amazon.com. The best way to get to Amazon.com, of course, is through the Two True Freaks link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Go to TwoTrueFreaks.com, click on the banner in the upper left-hand corner, and you'll be directed directly to Amazon.com. That was redundant. Of course, when you get to Amazon.com a little and make a purchase there, a little bit of your purchase money will go back to help the Two True Freaks website out. It doesn't cost you a cent extra, and it, like I said, it really does help us out. So if you ever want to buy music, videos, electronics, whatever your heart desires, please make sure you go to Amazon.com, and please make sure that you use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. It was, yeah, okay, I was going to make a joke about the uh, the header image you use on, on your section of the site. The main, just one of the guys graphic. Mm-hmm. Because that guy is dry shaving. Let me... On the far right. <laughs> pull that up real Because I'm actually several episodes behind on pretty much every podcast I listen to. My God, ah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, gonna... My first response is, oh, that chick was in The Flash in a few, like two or three episodes of The Flash. And hey, what's that guy doing? <laughs> See, I just thought, uh, you know, I just thought it was amusing, you know, replacing the football helmets with the heads of the uh, two main characters I was going to be covering. But, you know, I, no, I, I did not I, even. I still like it. I did not even notice that that guy is. <laughs> He's dry shaping. Oh, <laughs> that is not. <laughs> That is not comfortable at all. How can he be, you know, maybe he just doesn't, again, it's just a, I guess you have to consider it's just a setup for a poster cover. And, yeah. You know, you, you know. But then again, you get somebody who's anal retentive, hyphenated <laughs> like me, and you're like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, well, if, you know, you've also kind of got to kind of wonder how that they're able to completely ignore the fact that there's a woman changing in the shower with them. Uh, but there you go. I, I'd like to think I would catch that. I would hope I would catch that. Yeah, that was one of those movies where I don't really remember all of that much from it, aside from the reveal. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> I, I think I think that's the one thing that I took away from that movie. So it's but, kind of like um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. There are about two things I remember. They both involve Phoebe Cates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember those two things too. Yep. <laughs> oh yes, those were two really nice things. Uh, I may have to end this pretty soon. So <laughs> what? Have some, have some alone time. Sorry. Whoa! Uh, whoa! <laughs> what? Too much information? There you go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you should uh, put that in the outtakes. <laughs>